Welcome to the Wisdom Club podcast, where we talk to inspirational business leaders in our community that inspire us to lead a life full of wisdom and build a business as worthy of our wildest dreams. I'm your host, Leo Chen. I'm a tech entrepreneur, real estate advisor, and investor located right here in sunny coastal Orange County, California. And the goal of this podcast is to expand your mind and share what's possible. Um, I have the amazing Sally Daly here with me. Um, coming all the way to us uh, from the other side of the coast. All of you guys know I'm from the West Coast here, and in Sally is on the East Coast. Um, I can't uh, be more excited for this uh, because um, I'd love to know about her, about her area, and things like that. Um, you know, being in real estate, we always have a lot to talk about. We're always uh, got our hands in a lot of people's lives that we are managing and uh, making wonderful. So, Sally, welcome. Thanks, Leo. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted. Yeah, thanks. Um, so um, I think uh, most of our uh, audience may not know who you are. Um, so uh, I know we were talking a little bit, you know, about uh, your name and uh, your heritage and things like that. And uh, were you were you personally born in Vero Beach or had you uh, were you from somewhere else? Gosh, no. Like a lot of folks in Florida, I was born and raised elsewhere. I was born and raised in the Northeast. And around 2000, 2001, um, you know, September 11th happened and it gave us pause to think. And we owned our own business at the time and we could live wherever we wanted to. It didn't matter where we lived. And we said, why are we up here fighting winter? Let's give Florida a try. So we started looking in South Florida and we kept going north till we found a place that we could afford and that we thought we could call home. And so that was Vero Beach. That was about 20 years ago. Yeah. And so um, not having from been from the East Coast, um, having been from the West Coast, a lot of those things um, don't we don't think about that. Like I was right. just talking to someone the other day, I wake up in the morning and every day is the same. Yeah. I get to do whatever I wanted every single day and nothing is preventing me from doing what I need to do or want to do. Um, but uh, it's not so much in, in the Northeast uh, where there's a lot of you know winter and snow and especially this time of the year. Um, now snow is wonderful. We all love seeing it. It's beautiful and all that kind of stuff, but it, it you know, uh, if you live there, a lot of times you can't do what you want to do. You got to just change your plans. That's <laughs> you right. Know? You need to hunker down. And both my husband and I are quite physically active, Leo. And I, at the time, was a runner. I can't anymore because I've run for too long. But at the time, I was running. And I kept getting exercise-induced asthma. And it was from ingesting the cold air. And it would turn into bronchitis. And then it would turn into exercise-induced asthma. And we couldn't ski because there wasn't enough ski, you know, snow that was consistent. So we said, you know, maybe maybe Mother Nature's trying to tell us to try a different path. Yeah. And that seems to be, uh, if, I, uh, if I understand it correctly, it seems to be a lot of people's path moving from the uh, northeast down to the south, especially to Florida, just, you know, because of the warmer weather, of course. Um, um, and that seems like a natural kind of progression for a lot of people. You're absolutely right. And I would say the biggest change that's happened really because of the pandemic is that the connector between work and home has really broken. And so everybody always thinks of the golden girls when they think of Florida, you know, just lots of old people. And it's getting progressively younger and younger. Now, I'm not gonna say it's super young, that would be disingenuous, but the biggest change I've seen in my practice is gosh, half my buyers still have a child or two at home because COVID has made us rethink where we live, why are we waiting for five today, what we could do in five years. If there's because of technology and transportation, you can work and live in different places. So it's actually getting younger and younger. I think the average age is now something like 57. And when we got here 20 years ago, it was 67. Oh, I see. I hadn't thought of that. I actually have a, a good friend here from California that moved over there. He does travel a lot, but you know, he's in his mid thirties, you know? And, right. That's uh, right. And, it, and it's given everybody the flexibility to say, what do I want to do? And a lot of my clients that are buying here are saying, well, why are we waiting for five years? Why not now? And we had the same approach. We said, if it doesn't work, we can always move back. So I think that's what a lot of people are doing. I think it's weather, but I also think it's high taxes, Leo. I hear it time and time again. Their tax advisors are saying, 
go, 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 establish domicile residency. So those two drivers really have kind of kept our demand relatively high and we're not so interest rate sensitive than maybe some other markets are. Yeah, I think, um, you know, taxes and weather. I guess that's what drives all the migration. <laughs> it's so true. And so when people say to me, you know, when you said, Sally, what do you want to talk about? I'd love to talk about, you know, 2023 and what did we both see? And all of the naysayers, my golly, I just, I try to be a positive person. And I say, fundamentally, our drivers are a more friendly tax environment and better weather. Those things are not related to interest rate or the Fed or outside forces. So if those are the fundamental drivers, how could the market fundamentally change? Yeah, um, and and you 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 hit it on the nail earlier too. Like you had you guys had a reason to move down, and it mm-hmm. caused there was a there was a event of some sort mm-hmm. that caused everybody to think because otherwise we just go about our normal right. you know days. Um, and so we had the two thousand one. You know, uh, you know the uh, 9-11, mm-hmm. then we had the big, you know, uh, reset, I call it, you know, yeah. uh, economy and real estate and all that mm-hmm. stuff uh, from the 2008. And then now we have the pandemic. Mm-hmm. All three of them were big drivers of migration. And then you think about, okay, where can I go? Uh, taxes and then, mm-hmm. um, you know, weather. And then lastly, like jobs. Right. So, so all of those things combined and we have a perfect storm. And now that we have telecommuting, as you say, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, it, it frees that even up even more. And people are wondering, you know, why are people moving? Why are people going like, well, these are all the reasons. Right. And what's interesting is I was listening to a pod, a sociologist was saying, when you look back in the course of our American history, there were a couple great migrations. One is when everybody went out West to where you are now in search of gold. The other was when everybody left the farm and went urban, which I guess was probably late 1800s, early 1900s. And he was hypothesizing that now we are witnessing the third great migration, that we're gonna look back at this period of time and say migration from North down to the Southeast becoming a powerhouse. And he, he called it the, what will be known as the third great migration. And I think he's right, actually. Yeah, I guess people will go um, and make decisions on the thing they cannot do anything about, right? right. They cannot do anything about the weather, right? right? They cannot really do anything about the taxes, you know? Right. Um, and so uh, the rest of everything else, well, they get to decide and the technology has allowed them to have more options than ever before. That's right. That's right. It's almost like COVID made all of us think, do I like where I live? Does this house work for me? Even if you stay in the same community, does the house work for me? And so really, in some ways, I think good things have come out of it, but it's almost been, I think, an accelerant for what was happening already. Yeah, no, totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, and I love both of our locations, your location and my location. Those are all wonderful, you know, a possible destination for people. Uh, some people are going to Texas, which is good. Again, lower taxes mm-hmm. and uh, more for your money. Um, mm-hmm. And so similar kind of thing. Um, I want to I want to kind of switch gear a little bit. Um, you have a very interesting background, you know, um, I think what I recently learned is that you had been in marketing, you mm-hmm. know, um, and aside from that, I, all I, all I thought was like, oh my God, there's this wonderful person, Sally, who's worked in real estate forever and uh, would love to, you know, hear about her experiences and wisdom around real estate. But here I learned that you had a great background in, in uh, marketing. Uh, tell, tell us more about that. Well, what's interesting is that when I first met my husband, he had just started the business and I was actually working in corporate relocation at the time and I was in charge of the closing division. So Leo, I'm telling you, I can do a settlement statement for any state east of the Mississippi almost to the penny, because that was my job. And we literally printed out the checks at four o'clock every day for all these IBMers and everybody that was getting transferred. So that was the back end, but I didn't know the front end. Fast forward, I met my husband, we started working together. I quit the day job that was so scary. I was used to a paycheck. And we ended up growing the business and we ended up working for clients like Nine West Shoes, that might not be meaningful to you, women will know Nine West Shoes, Hyatt Hotels, Citibank, multiple sclerosis. We did that for 25 years and we were still doing it when we moved to Florida. 
And we were here a couple of years and we got an offer to purchase the business unsolicited. And my husband said, he's a little bit older than I am. He said, I think I'm going to slow down. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, you know what? I knew the back end from the reload. Now I felt like I knew the front end. We didn't have such a, we didn't have a bad experience, but we had an experience as a relocating person trying to figure everything out. And we felt like we had to do all of our own intel and there was no good repository to find all this info. And I thought, well, if I'm feeling this way, maybe there is a market out there for a real estate approach this way. So I got my license. And for the first 10 years, I worked by myself in my home office where I am now. And then I started working with builders and developers who said, I love how you help us find what should be, but now I want you to sell it. And I said, but I'm only one person. So I ended up taking the leap again, it's where all growth comes, doing something that's uncomfortable, taking a bricks and mortar office at the time that was the prevailing model and taking on agents and running my independent brokerage and taking on sales agents. Well, I mean, it's quite a progression, you know, um, for you. Um, a, a lot of us in real estate didn't have that progression. We're like, oh, I want to be a real estate agent. You know, I hear I can make a lot of money and all I'd have to do just show, show some homes and then off they go, you know, and then yeah. of course we all learn kind of, you know, the hard way. Um, but yet you had, you know, kind of a, uh, from my perspective, a very smooth progression. Was that your experience also? Yes, yes. And I mean, parts of it's scary where change usually is, but yes, absolutely. And then it really culminated in this past year when I had an offer, a call from Douglas Elliman. And after all these years of being independent, they wanted to acquire my company. So yet I'm in like the next phase of it yet. So we were a very good match for each other and we did the deal in February. And so now I'm actually, I'm still in production and I love it. I didn't want to be in management because I love, I love my clients so much as I can tell you do too. So I'm an advisor, but I'm still in production. And I'm now like in my third chapter, I guess, of, you know, this wonderful life. Yeah. And I think um, if you had any advice for anyone starting real estate, what would that be? Uh, the best thing I ever did was hitch my wagon to a practitioner whose work ethic I liked and admired. And I was just a sponge, sponge, sponge for about a year. I didn't want to mimic her. I, I had to find my own voice, but I wanted to emulate her. If you, you know, there, and I think that there's a difference. And so often agents just think, oh, okay, I'm going to pass my test and I'm going to go make a lot of money. And they get a desk and a phone. And they're like, uh-oh, like, what do I do? Like, how do I generate business? And you've got to think of yourself as a miniature business. And how am I going to launch it? And how am I going to get business? And maybe hitching your wagon with somebody who you admire or somebody that's a top producer and offer to do open houses and say, can I shadow with you or mentor with you? Is For me, it was the right path. And I think, uh, I think it's not done enough in our industry, which I think is a shame. Yeah, it's always so interesting to me. Um, we we I've had you know a few other like other careers myself as well, and there's always like it's very clear. You know, these are the things you do. You get a when you get a job, then you learn on a job, and there's a process that you know as you learn and you're making money as you get into it. Where in real estate, like there's this humongous gap between getting your license and actually producing. Oh, that is know? that is the truth, boy. I'll tell and you. I'm like, yes. It, this can't be like, how could this work, you know, this way? Yeah. And, um, you know, you look around and there's lots of great agents. I mean, in every market, in every location, lots of great agents like yourself that are producing and everything. But because the gap is so big, it's really hard to start the conversation and say like, oh, you know, this is how you close a deal, right? right. Like you go from like nothing to like close a deal. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm always surprised too. A lot of people think like, oh, I get it. You know, once I get my license, I get in real I'll start making money. And that's not the case. I mean, sometimes it might take two years, you know. That's right. Your, that's right. Year, what did money. you do when you first began? How did you go about it? Well, um, I, fortunately for me, my, um, my mom had been an agent for over 35 years in the okay. area. 
And um, unfortunate for me is that she wasn't one of those moms that came home and told us all about her business. We had no idea like what she did. We knew that she sold homes, but mm -hmm. we didn't know anything about how to actually sell homes. She's just out, you know, all day. She comes back, she's on the phone. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that uh, really struck out to me, and I always talk about it, is that um, at any given point, and this is probably, you know, at least uh, 10 plus 15 years ago when she was really busy and she would have one of three flip phones on her wrist. Wow. Sit down for dinner. And at any given time, one of those phones could ring. Mm -hmm. And when she rings, she picks it up. She gets off, up off, off her chair and she goes and takes it and she'll come back and, you know, grab her purse and say, Hey, I got to go. Yeah. You know, and that happened at various times when we we're having dinner or uh, sometimes even, you know, unfortunately, um, Thanksgiving and things like that. Yeah. And so when I got into the business and remembering that, I vowed to myself that I would never, ever do that. Like I would build a business where I had support, where I had other people around me uh, as a team or as a brokerage that could handle all those things. You know, can you imagine like, you know, you run a business, uh, you run a restaurant and somebody calls you in the middle of the night and say, hey, you know, come and deliver food for me. You get off right. the chair while you're having you know, dinner right. and you go do right. that. Like that's right. just unheard of, but it is, it is true in real estate. And um, I wonder how many people out there are, are, are still doing that. You know, uh, I think you know. a lot are Leo, don't you? I think yeah. I think a lot are. I think some of it is fear. Some of it is thinking I can't afford it. Some of it is thinking I need to control it all. And I'm guilty of that. I'm a total control person myself. And you know what? Everybody says the, your, the scariest first hire is your assistant. But, you know, it's it's liberating. And as you say, it's leveraging and it's, and it's also saying, I can't do everything and I'm not going to do everything. Well, I mean, think about our profession, negotiating, marketing, staging, showing property, understanding contracts. Those are a lot of left and right brain things together. And it's a very unusual person. I think that is good at all of those, but if you're good at what you're good at, let somebody else be good at what they're good at, but it's a scary thing. And as we said before, that's where the growth happens, but I think it's fear. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that's kind of, that was my initial view of real estate and she, uh, of the 35 plus years, she's never had an assistant. Wow. She all wow. by herself. And wow. when, when I did get into real estate and I asked her, you know, on some of my, you know, first and second contracts that I was trying to put a buyer through, I showed it to her and I said, Hey, what, what does this mean? And what does that mean? And how do we do this? And she had never taught anybody before ever. Mm -hmm. She just did her work. She just knew right. what to put there and she knew how to do stuff, um, but she didn't know how to teach it to me. And it was kind of frustrating for me, you know, at that time ago, okay, well, I can see like, you know, her as a mentor is probably not the right move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so I went out and started looking for uh, uh brokers that could help me um and uh, other uh coaches and things like that that could help me. But back back to your question though, I worked in corporate and I worked in um in technology for over 15 years. Mm -hmm. And it was also a, a marketing um, agency. And so I had a lot of that, you know, back end mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Now I didn't do all of the creatives and the pitching of the campaigns or things like that. But, but what I did was um, I, I handle all of the back end IT operations and things like that. So mm -hmm. I had to know a bunch of those things in order to help them. They would tell me, this is what I'm trying to do. You know, whether you're a designer, whether you're a programmer, whether you your, you know, account executive, um, uh, uh, client facing and things like that. I needed to know what their job was like in order to service what equipment, what software they needed. And when something broke, I had to knew, know what they're trying to do in order to fix it. So I had a kind of a, a little more well-rounded idea about, you know, marketing, branding and things like that. Um, but then I didn't, wasn't, you know, personally doing all of that work, but I could see what good branding looks like. What but you know, Leo, that skill set, like a lot of skill sets, right? That is so transferable because we need to understand what are the pain points? What's the friction? Where do our clients want to go? What's the problem? How, we're problem solvers, right? So that skill set move it over to real estate, it's not surprising that you're successful because it's the same thing. It's just a different scenario. Right. And so you're, you're absolutely right. And I, I felt that way. I felt like, hey, is problem solving going to be able to mm -hmm. solve problems? Mm -hmm. The only thing that I had never done was direct sales. 
And so it turned out that people didn't want me to do sales. I just, you know, told them what I thought and here's how we do this and that. And they're like, oh, great. You know, let's, let's go do this thing, you know, and it turned out people didn't want me to sell them, you know, but I did have a technology background where I could, you know, um, manage all the uh, daily aspects of the business. Um, but also, hey, how do we get, you know, leads to come in where a lot of people who may, you may relate to this, a lot of people who have been in, in the business, like my mom, a long time, they had never done any of that kind of lead generation, you know, electronically online and be able mm-hmm. to kind of run them through the funnel these days, yeah. as, as you will. And yeah. so they just hit the pavement, they either knocked on doors, they did yeah. you know, farming, or they're sending postcards or sending, sending, you know, mailers and things like that. That's, that's the world that they knew, where right. I sort of jumped in and say, hey, we, we can do this without, you know, more efficiently to get leads in more efficiently, rather than having to pay a dollar or $2 or $3 per mailer, mm-hmm. uh, where I didn't have a lot of capital to spend initially. And so that was kind of my transition with, with the two main things is like, um, seeing as many homes as possible, um, have a knowledge around all the real estate and what they're pricing and neighborhoods and area. Then number two, you know, try to give that to people where we can get leads to come in and they can raise their hands and say, hey, I'm looking for this, looking for that. Those those were the two kind of that I married to be able to kind of launch my business, which is unusual for most people. Most people, they don't start out doing that way. They're like, okay, well, I'll go do some open houses, which I did. Mm-hmm. We'll go do some door knocking, which I did. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but they would have to do that for a long period of time to build a book of business. Um, and so for me, um, the transition was tough. Uh, it, it's tough no matter what. Uh, but I luckily, I had good amount of savings. Um, I had a lot of great people around me uh, to be able to do that because uh Unlike you, it wasn't as, as a smooth transition. It's just this big gap that we talked about. And mm-hmm. uh, but I'm very, very grateful. Everything we earn, you know, we're we're so appreciative, and uh, because we knew what all the things that had to happen in order to kind of get that client at least. Right, right. But you know, it's interesting, Leo. It seems like it, it depends, I guess, who you talk to. But it, some agents are still doing a little bit of the old school, but they're also marrying the new age and the new approach. So everybody's doing some digital, but for example, my market is a slightly older demographic, probably than yours. I don't know what, what your demographic is, but my demographic, we have a barrier island and then we have a mainland and the barrier island skews a little older. And I'm telling you on the barrier island, direct mail is still really a big deal. And so, I mean, it's kind of, you have to understand your market, right? It's just like when you were doing marketing or when I was doing marketing, who's your likely buyer? What or who influences them? What media do they consume? And in a lot of the cases, we are still doing direct mail because it works. And as does print, we've got one publication. Do you have that one publication that everybody reads? I'm sure you do. We've got that and it's a weekly. And we we in it, but we're also doing digital. So it really depends on your market, I think. But it's interesting how it's kind of hybrid. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, our market is so big here. You know, com- compared to most of the markets around the country. Um, you know, just our county alone, we have four million people. Holy moly! How many houses do you normally have on the market? Um, do do we have on the market uh, countywide? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, this is a this is. Good question. Uh, you know, pre-pandemic, we would- Right, have, that's true. It's before and after, right? So no, what was the pre-pandemic norm? We would probably like 8,000 homes, something like that. Holy moly. Here's how, here's how different our markets are. Pre-pandemic on the island where I focus on, we would on normally have around 350. And that was a lot of houses to, you know, because it's, we've got low density housing and it's a small community, only 120,000 people in the whole county. Right, right. And so now we have probably around uh, two to 3,000, you know, wow. still very, wow. very low, but wow. you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's just a fraction mm-hmm. of what we normally have. And people talk about, you know, inventory and inventory going up, you, you know, even, even when inventory was low before the uh, interest rates went up, we were still, we were still hovering around 2,000, 2,500. Mm-hmm. And now we've come wow. up a little bit, 3,000. I think we might we might be low right now only because it's uh, you know uh, end of the year uh, but as soon as um, 
February comes, then uh, we will have, you know, hopefully a lot more closer to normal because this is very tough. Really, very tough people want to buy and it's just not enough homes to buy. So that's one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about. And I wondered what you think, uh, you know, this is an interesting stat that I heard, Leo, and this really surprised me. 65% of all mortgages nationally carry an interest rate of 4% or less, 65. Now in my market, probably at least 50% of the homes are owned free and clear. So if you think about the interest rate as a rock deterring inventory from coming to market, I mean, gosh, if all those mortgages were booked and closed, let's say within the past five years where money was super cheap, does that realistically mean we've got like a 25 year cycle for those 30 years to mature? And we just have to wait for, as you said, death, divorce, the unexpected before our inventory starts to go up. I mean, that's a really daunting thing. I heard one economist say, folks that have a 4% or under loan, in many cases, the value of the loan is greater to them than whatever the value the market has on their house because they can't go out and replace it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm. I mean, it's so interesting to me um, because we we never had a hike of interest rate this quickly mm -hmm. in a six months period. Right. Um, stunning. And, stunning. Yeah. 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 And and it just shocked everybody. Right. It did. You know, once that once that ninety day period was up and your lock was you know going yep. away, like it literally dropped like a rock. Yep. Right. And uh, we've never seen that. I mean, usually it's relatively gradual over a year's period of time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, generally. Um, and you've been around the business longer than me. So, so you, you know that. Um, but then also, uh, we also never had this kind of demand. Right. Right. Um, you know, typically you have your typical buyers uh, who are either coming into age and they want to buy something and then uh, you know, start their lives. And then you have, you know, those are normal buyers and you have your uh, move up buyers and you have your move down buyers. And generally that, that's, that's the, the, the demand out there. Um, but then what happened is you know, over this uh, kind of rush, if you will, to buy homes and interest rates being low, we had institutional buyers come in. We had never had this amount of institutional buyers, big companies coming in buying, large apartment buildings, um, developing land, um, and just scoop up, you know, uh, uh, everything. And so um, I see the market, you know, in three buckets. One is your normal buyers. Two is your kind of like a mom and pop small outfit investors that are buying for holding or buying to flip and things like that. Then now we have added on top of that, the institutional buyers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, naturally when you have you know, them coming in with big money, like it beats out all the little people who really I need know. homes. And so that's the unfortunate part, I think, about COVID uh, that that had happened to us. And then with all the shortages in supplies, materials, we can't build. And I tell people like, this is like, if you think that prices are going to come down, you you might you might uh, be surprised mm -hmm. in the next few years what's going to happen because where's the inventory is going to come from? And generally, we'd have more construction, but because of supply chain, we had a pause, and so now we're behind. So it's a you, you guys may not uh, may not have this problem. We have this problem with water out here, yeah, right? With yeah. drought and stuff like yeah, we yeah. literally have had a drought for the last you know 10, 13 years at least. Right, we might have a, have a good year here and there, but by and large, like we just have less and less water, mm -hmm. you know, and we've had this ongoing drought that people just gotten used to. So I think about the housing market out here is like it's like the drought, like you you always yeah. going to be in a drought, so right. you're just going to have to fight tooth and nail for what you want to get ahead of people to get the home that you want. If you had to pay more, if you had to work a little more, if you had to do whatever it takes to get it, well, it's going to be worth it because that drought never gets better. That's a great analogy, Leo. And in our market, our product, if you want our barrier island, it was largely developed in the 1980s, 1990s, some portions even older than that. Newer houses are like 04. And I'm sure your codes change as often as ours do. And for us, the codes, particularly around roof and wind shear load for storms are supremely important. So what's happening is people are coming to town and saying, we love Vero Beach, 
gosh, these houses are all so old. So it's like, we've got a market within a market. I say we've got a bifurcated market. We've got, we may have, you know, 114 houses for sale, but if you really drill down, those that are moving ready and don't need work, because to your point, people in the past that would have said, oh, I'll make up my own. Our prevailing model before was buy the house, pull a permit, renovate it afterwards, make it what, what I want, because I want the neighborhood. I want to be able to walk to the beach. Now with COVID and everybody's fearful of labor shortages going out maybe to the West Coast that got decimated, poor, um, you know, Sanibel and those parts of towns, Fort Myers and supply chain issues still. So buyers that used to say, well, I'll fix it up. Everybody's now going, no, thanks. So we have 114 houses for sale, but it's really not even that because those that buyers really want is like this. Right, right. We're seeing that here too. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought that up because uh, I would have wanted to know that um, because right now, all the turnkey homes all go fast, even right. at this interest rate, yes. even at this yes. level of you know inventory and people saying like, hey, don't buy a home right now. If you have a move-in ready that is updated and everything looks like a model, mm -hmm. like it goes uh, for multiple, multiple offers, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, seven to 14 days, like it's gone. So yeah. just like you said, what's left are the homes that people don't want or, and, and overpriced on top of that, because right. they're like, okay, well, prices have come down and, you know, correlate that. And here's mm -hmm. where my, my price is. Well, not if, not if people don't want it. Right. 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 And so right. I'm surprised too. Like, why don't people want to renovate? Like just put in the work like this is money in your pocket like investors know this when they go into a crappy smelly house they go oh it smells like money right? i think it's fear leo i think it's fear that they can't get supplies they don't know if they can get labor and what they think they know it's going to cost ten dollars it's going to end up costing fifteen dollars and they think it's going to take two months and it's going to end up taking a year i think it's a fear-based decision yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, but it's a it's a shame. Like, you know, there's homes, you know, on land, and we're, we're pretty build friendly out here because of the weather again, mm -hmm. you know, we have, right. we, don't, we don't have as many different kinds of codes that uh, that prevent people from having to do certain things are all of our, our uh, utilities and, and uh, things like that are all very, very straightforward for pretty much all of our, you know, counties. Um, so, but I just think that like, hey, this is a great opportunity. Like it would be great to kind of build things that you want. Yes, mm -hmm. it'll take you time. But then if you can't find anything else, like, hey, you know, maybe you just find the best that you can, you know, and not have to renovate everything, but maybe just cosmetic. You can still find those homes. Like, right. Right. like the gap between turnkey right. homes, you know, and know. some work, you know, is not that far, but then people is just huge drop off in demand for that. Well, what's so interesting is that like in this market with less buyers, buyers have a little more power at the negotiation table than they have had for the past 18 months, right? So at least in our market, if, if you're over 30 days on the market, you're not going to have to pay full. So you're going to be able to either get a redu reduction in price or ask the seller to give you a three to one buy down and, you know, fund that 6% in order to do that. And honestly, in many cases, by the time they're done with whatever they want to do, if it had been done in the first place, they, I, I hate to use the word instant equity, but you know what I mean, where if in effect, by the time they're done, the house is usually worth substantially more than it costs to get it there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, elbow grease, right? Right. Right. So, right. um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And so are you still seeing a lot of migration even, you know, right now from um, other states? Yes. The biggest change is California. My friend, California is, I mean, California is coming to Florida. So the question is, I wonder, and I worry about California because you're in pretty rarefied air there in Orange County and, uh, Prices are not for the, you know, that's not a middle-class neighborhood. So like when, if, is the X flight going to still continue to happen in your judgment? And is California going to go the way of supreme haves and supreme have nots? I mean, what, where do you see the future of the real estate market in California? Well, the, the gap is, is continued to widening, right? but not, but not at a, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't jump. 
it's just mm -hmm. this kind of a slow slow boil you know mm -hmm. and so um uh, some people get to a point if they've been here long enough they've had enough and they say hey we're gonna go uh and you know just like a just like we were talking about earlier, if COVID happens and then uh, they have, you know, possibly a job opportunity or a change of jobs, like, hey, I just want right. to you know, start from scratch. I want to do something else that I love. Mm -hmm. I've been working for this company for a long time and, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. So those lifestyle and, and job changes like are a big deal. But we have so many people here when when you when we get a bunch of people that move to say Vero Beach or something mm -hmm. like that, well, we still have a bunch of people. <laughs> That's true. That's a very good point. I guess I'm splitting hairs. You're absolutely right. You're you know, absolutely uh, right. We, we yeah. have enough population to yeah. you know, fill so many markets, you know, yeah. around the country. So we don't, we don't, we don't feel it. And the people that, you know, want to stay here, they're like, well, you go like, you know, because there's too much traffic here. Like, Go, true. Right? That's true. We That's want, true. We, we want you to go. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so um, so I think I think our impact here, our outward migration doesn't doesn't impact us at all. And um, there will always be people, you know, coming in. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people say, hey, we're losing population. And maybe, maybe we might, but we we just there's not enough resources really for everybody, for everything, you know, uh, in a growth rate that we've had for so many years. Well, and that's the other thing, your market and my market, we both have scarcity, right? That are affecting our markets. And our scarcity is a policy driven scarcity, Leo. Back in 1977, I, I try to think back in 1977, Florida was probably like the wild, wild west back in 1977. Build, build, build. Like, do whatever you want. And our little town had two high rises that went up on the on the island and they were ugly and they freaked out the people in charge at the time. And so back in 77, they instituted low density, low profile, limited commercial, limited multifam. And it's in place to this day. And we're one of only two counties in the entire state that have it. So for us, people say, oh, or more, more people are coming to town, we're going to get too big. We can't because we don't have the inventory to sell them. You know, if housing is a fraction, there's only so many on that denominator and it's not growing. It's growing a little bit west out of town, but even then there's bumpers to protect the agriculture industry and it's not going to change up to a certain point, then it goes ag. We're not even built out to I-95, which we're probably one of the only Florida counties that can say that. So we both have scarcity, but for different reasons, because you've got tons of people and we've got low density zoning. Yeah, and so if people if people wanted to move there today, like mm -hmm. there there is inventory. It's not like completely unaffordable, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, but you know the past two years have given everybody a pandemic lift, Leo. I'm sure you have clients. We all have clients that are multi-year clients, right? So the clients that I started working with, you know, three or four years ago. It's, it's a bit of a rude awakening as to what they could do now versus if they had pulled the trigger pre-pandemic, right? Right. right. And, but yeah, and yes. And also part of the reason people from California are coming here is it's, it's context, right? Compared to your pricing, we're like a fire sale. So I guess it's all relative. But yes, it's, it's still, there's still affordable properties for people that want to come here. Yeah, and and it is relative, um, and but it depends on the income. In the before yeah. before you know the telecommuting revolution, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. um, you know you had to like, hey, what's the job market there? You know, if I if I work if I work there, you know, what's my income going to be compared to what I can buy there? And you had this you know level playing field of you know uh, cost of living. Uh, and what your income is. Well, now that you didn't have to, you can telecommune, you can have a job somewhere else where you can earn a lot more, you know, and then uh, be able to live in a place like that, then that's, that's great, you know, right. but uh, prior to that, you know, you didn't have that, you didn't have that. Oh, problem. no, I mean, you had to draw the circle, how far do I want to drive? And what's my, what are my choices going to be? Yeah. This is a funny story, Leo, when we moved down here in 2002, we were still running our marketing agencies. And one of our clients, I kid you not, was the telecommute Connecticut program. And we were running the marketing for that campaign from Vero Beach, Florida. Isn't that hilarious? Wow, that's great. That's a yeah. great campaign. That's a great Yeah, campaign. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so as people moving in, let's say California, 
um, more specific because that's where I'm from. Yeah. Um, what do what do people in your area in Vero Beach think about people uh, from California, like attitudes and culture and things like that? What do they bring in? Like, what's the kind of the buzz around town? Well, it's everybody saying, I hope everybody that comes doesn't want to come and then change everything. If you like the way we are and you appreciate the small town vibe and the fact that, you know, we don't, we've got a, a mall, but it's, you know, it's not a huge mall and we're low density, please don't try to come in and change it all. If you liked the way it was and it attracted you to come here, please let's be respectful of that. I mean, there's growth and there's change, but please don't come and try to say, well, where we come from, blah, 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 because that just alienates everybody. Yeah, we we yeah. have a we have a town here. It's very rare in California. It's uh, Laguna Beach. I don't know if you guys heard of it. I do, I do. Um, very, very strict. It's probably mm -hmm. one of the few towns that are, um, strict on you know any kind of changing and anything like that for developers very mm -hmm. developer unfriendly mm -hmm. um, and they're trying to preserve all the historical buildings and that uh, you couldn't do anything un unless you had to keep the same you know look and feel mm -hmm. and the size you couldn't build up you couldn't you know change all you can change um, landscaping and th things like that mm -hmm. but the actual building you had to you know go with the planning department style and you know they'll do a deep dive on the history and making sure that it stays that way and um, <clears throat> it's uh, the only town here that wants to keep everything you know that way and so uh, it's an artist town and so um, all the artists that live here all want it that way and the, the city voted in mm -hmm. to make sure that like you have this probably at least over 50% people who have been here for generations and mm -hmm. they do not want anything to change, even mm -hmm. if it's falling apart. They rather right. have it fall apart than have some sort of a modern building goes up that's just completely uh, does not match everything else. So uh, so we can we can relate to that, you know, a little bit. And uh, I think, um, uh, yeah, hopefully, because we don't want everywhere to look the same, right? Of course, of course. I will say, I think there there can be a compromise. I mean, our intercoastal is actually an estuary. And I did not know what that was when we moved here, Leo. It means that the water is part fresh water and part salt. So it's brackish. Mm -hmm. So as a result, it's this unique ecosystem that alligators happily tend not to like. But oh. we have manatees and dolphins and bald eagles and herons. It's the coolest thing ever but it was becoming polluted from man all the toxins from yard care golf courses were leaching into the water and we've got one specific community in town in town that still had um septics and they said okay we're not going to force you all to connect to the sewer but we are going to mandate that you use this new kind of pump, which is much more environmentally friendly and it causes less leaching. And everybody said, okay. And they said, we'll give you two years to comply and it's just fine. So I think reasonable people can come up with reasonable solutions. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. And it's really good to know that, you know, there's, you know, it's uh, unalligator friendly, uh, yes. Because when we yes. think about Florida, we think I about know. alligators all the time. I know. I know. Yeah. You think like you're going to be alligator bait if you go into the water, but happily with ours, because it's an estuary, you could actually go paddle boarding and not fear for your life. Oh my gosh. I paddleboard all, all the time out of our um, harbors and as well as our- uh, Oh, you would love it here, Leo. Ocean. And there's these little islands that they call spoil islands that have mangroves, and pines on them and i literally thought they were called spoil islands because they can spoil the view no it's from when they dredge and what they pull up they call the spoils and they threw it aside and uh -huh. one mangrove became two mangroves one scrub pine became two and they're all preserves and so you go all around them it's so super cool yeah that's awesome when when i hear anything barrier island barrier reef yeah. barrier anything yeah. i just light up um i had a previous little side career in aquaculture oh so i was um, so i'm i yeah. just love all that ecology yeah. and you know things like that especially around the trop tropical reefs and things like that and so i'm always fascinated you know by that so um when you say mangrove we used to use mangrove because they mangroves they, they clean they clean yeah. the water because mm -hmm. they soak up everything they grow very yeah. fast and they and they clean and it's it's like a, it's like 
like algae. Algae grow because you know there's phosphates and stuff like that. That's feeding. Correct. That's, that's that's the issue of our water. Yeah. Right, and that's the dirty yeah. stuff that that right. it's trying to you know clean. Mm-hmm. And the more more you have that, the better. Um, but uh, but but yeah, it's just like uh, we see more more algae in the ocean because there's more pollution. Mm-hmm. That's right. And where our nickname is also the Treasure Coast, Leo, because on the ocean side, back in the 1700s, there was this big Spanish flotilla, flotilla, I think that's how you say it, of ships loaded to the gills with treasure. And of course, there was no GPS. So they hit Mr. Hurricane, and one or two of the ships is still not found. And so there's always treasure hunters out there. And every now and then, like in 04, we had a hurricane, mm-hmm. and some of the ball cannonballs actually washed up. So I mm-hmm. guess if you're if you're a um, not a snorkeler scuba diver I guess there's really cool stuff to see underwater and there's still treasure to be found yeah treasure hunting you know yeah. a lot of a lot of diving a lot of diving. yes yes yeah now um uh, speaking of animals and alligators and dolphins and things yeah. like that you previously mentioned to me you have a dog and so no there's no um uh there's no danger for you know pets and things like that you know around the wildlife there No. Well, I mean, we do have bobcats, but they, I mean, if you're a bunny rabbit, it's not good to be a bobcat. But other than that, no. I mean, you do need to be mindful of alligators and small dogs, but we don't have alligators in our Indian River um, lagoon. So, I mean, maybe way, way, way west out of town. If you're in a, there's a lake out by I-95 called, I forget what it's called, uh, the Cypress, Blue Cypress Lake. Um, you're you're going to want to be you're going to want to be very careful about your dog because they they can be aggressive well we have we have coyotes here oh we have them in connecticut yeah 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 yeah. and they'll travel they'll travel in packs and stuff like that and they'll jump over walls in our little patios and snatch little dogs but they couldn't they couldn't take the dog and jump back over the fence so they had to let go when they're found out they'll, they'll jump away so unfortunately you know we have that but um, I guess the best way to get a gauge of like the alligator population is like on a on a normal month, like how many would you see? Leo, I've never seen one in 20 never years. seen one. Oh, my gosh. No, that's not true. At one time I was selling a ranch way west of town. This is a mm-hmm. true story. Mm-hmm. Oh, you'll appreciate this. It wasn't such an easy property to sell. There was a lake, well, lake, it was a pond really, that traversed from the ranch on this side that I was selling that went across. So it went across both. Had a full price offer. The guy goes, I just need to show my wife. You know what I'm going to say. Wife comes in, who comes sauntering? I heretofore had never seen him. Who comes sauntering out of the pond? Mr. Al E. Gator to go for a sunbed. The guy has the contract in his hand. <laughs> Out they went. Oh my god. Can you gosh. believe that? It's the only time I ever saw an alligator. But but you have those alligator hunter guys who come in and take care of it, right? I know. So I called the county and they said, Well, how big is it? And I said, Well, I feel he's like five feet. And they said, Oh, that's too big for us. You got to call like Crocodile Joe or whatever the guy's <laughs> name was. And I swear, probably that weekend, there was a sign out front of his yard that said gator jerky, you know. Yeah, yeah. So so you have a German Shepherd, how old? We think he's two. We just adopted him about five oh. weeks ago. His name oh, is wow. Bo. His master died. And so he was returned because of that. And he is just a lover and a half. I'm telling you, he's very large, Leo. I am a relatively small person. He's 110 pounds. Wow. He's about like this high and he's a total lover. I mean, he's just so fantastic. We drove up to uh, rescue. It's almost like um, the Underground Railroad where they, they rescue have, like they work with places in Georgia and Alabama and he was in Alabama. And so we had to wait for him to get transported to Florida. And then we went to go get him. And it had been a while since we We'd had a dog. It had been about over a year since we'd had a dog. And okay. we just knew when we saw him that he was the one. And when we first moved here, we had a white German shepherd named Otis, and he was fabulous. So we thought, you know what? We had such a great experience with Otis. Let's let's see how we do with Mr. Bo. So it's it's going well for all of us. 
And now you, you saw him online. Is that how you first? We saw him online. That's exactly right. Yeah. These rescue places all are so smart now about social, you know, and he just had the most beautiful eyes. And so my husband called about him and um, we passed, you know, we had to give as they should, they vet you very carefully. We had to give references and everything. And uh, we got him the week before Thanksgiving. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. But um, your dog is, is it called a Malinois? Is that how you say it? Yeah, so they were um, they were originally from the city of Malin, okay, okay um, in Belgium, and, okay. and so it, the word is a French word, so it's spelled Mal uh, M A L I O I S. The French in French you say Malinois, right? Uh, a lot of people like Malinois, I didn't see okay. videos uh, videos uh, that say oh Malinois, <laughs> which is yeah, not Malinois. how you pronounce that it. Sounds like a, a New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's a, So, do you the, think they're like dog cousins? I mean, breed cousins? Well, here's what I know, and it's very, very interesting. I had never had a Malinois before, um, and there's a there's a family of uh, Belgian shepherds, and this is one of one of uh, this is one of those breeds that's with part of that uh, family of Belgian shepherds. It's a Dutch shepherd okay. um, and Malinois. Um, okay. There's one other I can't um, uh, Tervoy or something like that. They have really long hair, okay. um, but they're all from the same family, and they are actually very different from a German Shepherd. So German Shepherds were originally created when they were crossbred to be that way for okay. protection for certain type of work and things like that, and so right. that's why you get you know that particular shape and also uh, you know the the different temperaments that they had. Um, the Belgian, the Belgian shepherds, and it's specifically the Belgian Malinois, were never crossbred. They were picked out of the herd. So they liked the few that were behaving properly. They would pick them out and they would breed those, as opposed to crossbreeding with other breeds. Okay. So they're actually one of the healthiest breeds because of that. They're, you know, they were not, you know, had, you know, different gene pool, you know, in there. They they were just, you know, kept very original. Uh, where the Je German shepherds did not have that. And temperament-wise, they're very different because the German shepherds, uh, they're very courageous, very smart, very intelligent. And you've had a couple of shepherds by now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but if you were to discipline them or something like that, they're they're so emotionally sensitive. They yes. they really, yes. they really, they I had a German shepherd uh before before uh Lucy, my dog now. And um when we got him as rescue, he was around two also. Um, he We couldn't figure out his uh, potty schedule. And in the middle of the night, he would potty in the house. And we were like, hey, what's going on? And naturally, because of my upbringing, I was like, hey, stop it. This is the third time this week. Yeah. yeah. You know? And he was he was distraught. His whole world just collapsed. Right. And he was afraid to come to me for like at least two days. And oh. I was like, I was like, oh my gosh. Oh. I am never, I am never raising my voice to this dog ever again. It just seemed yeah. just the demeanor. And with the uh, Belgian Malinois, they do not have that. They're very emotionally re uh, resilient. So when I disciplined her, she would like look at me and go, oh, okay. And at first I thought, um, you're just ignoring me or you don't understand one of the two. But then the next time that happened, she didn't do it. So I, oh, oh you do understand. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, her, her, her thinking was just very quick. And like, oh, I see. You don't want me to do that. Let's go play. And it yeah. happened so fast. And I never yeah. had a dog like that. And so um, because of that, very easily, e easy to train. So anything I taught her, she would, she would learn like literally in 20 minutes. And then like, okay, let's play. <laughs> wow. Know? And so, Leo, how old is she now? Uh, she's um, getting close to two and a half. Mm -hmm. And so all of my other dogs were all um, that I've had throughout my entire life were all um, rescues. She's the first one that I raised and she's a COVID dog. She was born in July of 2020. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of perfect timing too, where I got to spend time at home with yeah. her and just taught her everything where I had never done potty training before. Right. You know, I had never done, yeah. um, you know, uh, the biting and the chewing and the, you know, things like that. And then the the general obedience I had never really done because they all came to me like ready to go. I say, sit right. and, you know, yeah. I you know. know. And so so those were some of the differences physically. Um, there's uh, there's the females are 45, 50 pounds. So okay. not very big. Right. Um, males are 55, 60 pounds. Um, and then if you see them out as working dogs, there's police or military and mm -hmm. things like that, 
they of course pick them a little bit bigger. And mm -hmm. so now they're 65, 70 pounds. And so compared to uh, my dog right now at 45 pounds and 70 pounds, they're like, oh my gosh, why is your dog so small? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, because they're they're used to seeing them at airports and you know, things like that. Like, right. hey, right. is that a mini German shepherd? And like, no, no, no. This is their standard, you know, size for females. Well, and what so we're struggling with is our our bow, I think because he was sedentary for a couple of months, mm -hmm. has put on a few LBs. I guess mm -hmm. he has his COVID weight, like like many of us. Yeah, and yeah. so the vet, we um, just saw the vet and she's like, well, you know, he probably should shave off, you know, 10, maybe a few more than that. We're like, great, we just adopted him. And now we've got to put him on this restrictive diet. Hi, we love you. We're not going to feed you. So that's a tricky thing that we've never had to do before. And she said, just do it gradually. He's going to be a lot more active with you. And instead of two full cups, go a little shave under the two cups in each. And he's never going to know. And it'll come off gradually. Yeah. And, um, and a couple of unique things I did with her, um, and also one of the big other big difference I forgot to mention was uh, their bones. So German Shepherds have like heavy bone density. Yeah, they do. You know, they're like a bear, you know, like, yeah. you know, just, yeah. just, if, you swipe, yeah. they, if they yep. swipe at you, like, oh my God, that's a lot of weight, yeah. you know, where uh, uh, Belgian Shepherds and Belgian Malinois, they are light bone density. So the reason they switch from German Shepherds to... Um, Belgian Malinois for working dogs is because uh, these guys, they can work all day. Where German Shepherds, after a couple of hours of carrying all that weight, they're, they're tired. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. these guys, they can work all day long and they'll mm -hmm. never stop. Mm -hmm. you know and so because energetic wise like uh, this that's the big difference and so these few different characters characteristics makes them completely different dogs gotcha and, um, that's interesting that they look so different leo it's like a dog version of you i think <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of people have told me like oh my yeah. god you couldn't have pick the more perfect yeah. dog, yeah. you know, because if, you, of, if Leo were a dog, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. of activity and things yeah. like that. And, um, uh, food wise, uh, I had never done this before either, but somebody turned me on to say, Hey, you know, dogs should be, should, should eat raw food. You know, we don't know all these processed food of kibbles mm. and things like that and all kinds of treats of every kind. And they, you know, get teeth problems. They get, you know, weight problems. They get bone problems, you know, and things like that. And so um, somebody said, hey, you can feed them raw food. And I said, what's that mean? So raw food is like, you know, raw, just raw meat, period. Okay. You know? And so that's all she's ever had since she was seven weeks old. As soon as I got her every single day, she had two meals. And it was, you know, raw beef, raw chicken, raw turkey. And they were like ground up. So it's easier for her to, you know, digest, not a lot of chewing. But some people, they'll just give them like a half a chicken and you throw out in the yard and they just go, you know, gnaw on it for like a half hour. And so that's all she ever had. She's never had any human food. And so she'll smell human food and stuff like that. But like, hey, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's not for you. And she's like, okay, I know it's not my meal, but she smells right. all she's ever had. She smelled it. And Interesting. I I thought like, well, I don't know if she would eat human food. If she even even offered her. I'm sure she would eat it, but then it's kind of quite a bit different. One time I was walking her, and there was a half a chocolate chip cookie laying on the ground, and I didn't see it. And we walked by, and she, I, as soon as I turned, she had picked it up, and I said, "Hey, no." She spit it out. Oh. <laughs> like what was wow. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's a little more you know unusual for her, but she's happy and healthy as can be. And so we're just gonna keep doing you know you know what uh, what's working for her 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 digestion her you know, her, uh, everything is just perfect where, you know, a lot of shepherds can have a lot of, you know, digestion pro problems. Yes. It's absolutely true. Yeah. yeah so, Interesting. so, uh, yeah. So um, I'm glad we have that in common and uh, yeah. you know, maybe someday you can meet, uh, you can meet Lucy. She's would she's love, to. Would yeah. love yeah. to. Yeah. Um, well, it's been great. Uh, we're, I mean, look at the time. You know, we've we've gone over. Oh my hour. gosh! Gosh, sorry, Leo. I've been <laughs> and, occupying you. And I'm uh, just uh, just super enjoying you know talking with you. Just a wealth of knowledge, and I love your you know smaller town than us, yeah. and just the dynamics of everything. And it sounds like a great place to visit, and possibly a great place to you know live for many people. Absolutely, come see us anytime, Leo. I'll, yeah. I'll well, give you the grand tour. Definitely in the non-hurricane seasons, yeah. and yeah. Um, you know, I, I love you know, anything water, yeah. the diving, you, you, you hit me when you, uh, yeah. when you, oh, you would love it. You yeah. would just love it. We, we would just, just love it. We would just paddle for miles and miles. Like I, when I lived in Hawaii, we, we had this big, 
uh, bay on Kauai called Hanalei Bay, and I would it's it's a half mile across, like a mm-hmm. you know, big bay. And I would I would uh, paddle across all the time and see whales oh, and see dolphins. So I always think of anywhere tropical, anywhere has reefs and things like that. That that that's what I would do. Oh, the do- anytime I see a dolphin, it's a really good day. I have to yeah. say, and we also have loggerhead turtles. I was fortunate enough oh. one day when I was running early, the poor babies, I guess, didn't get the memo. They were supposed to hatch at night, and I saw the little babies hatching. Oh, that's I mean, amazing. and they made the exact same pattern that the mamas do, but just in the little little tiny little format. And they were about this big, stem to stern. Yeah. And when you think about them trying to get into the ocean and getting washed back and we were trying to keep the animals away and I understood now why they said only like one out of the 200 eggs makes it to maturity because I mean you think about that big and all the critters and things out there that would call you a snack you know they that's a really rough go but they're magnificent yeah so are you able to time you guys if you wanted to see them you know pretty much what what day of the year no it was just it was just dumb luck what happens is from uh, may till september we can see the um, pattern where the mama's gone up and laid her eggs and then we've got volunteers who travel up and down the the beach and they cordon off with um, pilings so you can't go in and disrupt the hatch um it was just dumb luck one day where i saw them oh that's great that's probably one of my bucket list dreams to to have happen you know oh it was it was really spectacular and then one time there we i saw a grown one and i think she was in distress and they called there's a bunch of different rescue associations that will come and help them and then nurse them back and then release them back so i've seen a big one and i've seen the little babies it was quite spectacular well great now now i have even more even more uh, ambition to get out there and see some wildlife fantastic i look forward to it um, so before we sign off, a couple of things. Uh, tell everybody how how they can get a hold of you if they're interested in Florida, Vero Beach. You know, if they're thinking about moving out there, if they want a vacation or anything, how can they reach you? Easiest thing probably is the website, which is just thedailygroup.com, spelled like my last name, D-A-L-E-Y, thedailygroup.com, because that's got great information on Vero Beach and market reports, as well as good property searches. That's probably the easiest repository, but I'm also on social and Insta and Facebook. Um, Sally Daily Vero is my handle for Instagram but anyone's welcome to call me or text me anytime. Would love to ch- chat with you. I could talk about Vero Beach all day long. Yeah, well, I pro- it sounds like I would probably would be able to talk about Vero Beach all day long <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, as per tradition, uh, we always ask our guests to uh, share a quote that they love um, and what, they, what that means to them. Uh, would you like to share yours? Sure, I'd be delighted to. My quote says, I got to put my glasses on, place the feet of courage into the stirrups of patience. And to me, that just says, you've got to have courage to move forward where there's, if you're feeling uncomfortable, that means there's going to be some growth, but you also have to be patient, be patient to see your hard work come to fruition. Because for me personally, patience is not one of my strong suits. So it's a reminder to take the leap Go for it, but be patient and give it time to work. Well, uh, you're you're absolutely right, and most people don't have the patience as one of their you know born virtues. Uh, very very rare do we have a person like that, and it's absolutely true, right? Like you know, have the courage to to face what you need to face and reap the rewards, but you have to have the patience for that to actually happen. We don't all born walking. Right? right. We're not, we're not giraffes, right. <laughs> you know, or yeah. horses where they're like, you know, yeah. three seconds there, they're like walking on their legs. Yeah. So we had to try how many, you know, you're, you're a mom, I'm sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how many times we had to watch your kid, you know, try to learn how to walk, you know, before that happens. So they absolutely have that kind of patience. It's a necessity, just like us. We all have these kind of necessities in life that, uh, but, but, where do we get this idea that it's just going to happen the first time you try? Right, you know? exactly. So, Fail forward, as they say, right? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you for that quote. I have never heard of it before. And I'm going to yeah. put that in, in into my quote book here and share it. So thank you so much, uh, Sally. It's been my a wonderful time. Pleasure. 
And uh, thank you for spending the time with us. I'd love to have you back sometime again and catch us up on everything, you know, uh, Vero Beach. I would be delighted. Happy New Year, everybody. All the best for 2023, Leo. Thank you, Sally. Okay. There we go. That was delightful. That was fun. I'm sorry to have occupied your whole day, Leo. Oh no, not at all. Not at all. No. Uh, we 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 want we always make enough time for it. You know, we don't we don't schedule stuff back to back for this because we never know where the gold's gonna come from and where you know it's gonna delight you know the conversation where the conversation goes. I don't I don't necessarily like you know, the kind of strict agenda, because we like to talk about life and talk about right. our business and talk about what inspires you and talk about, you know, what, what things, because those are the things that people are interested in. You know, yeah. they can get stats all day long where exactly. you want to exactly. get, but we, we want to give them stuff that's, you know, that's, you know, specifically, you know, you and your area and what's interesting about it. It's, it's like a travel show on Zoom. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, so thank you so much. You, My you're pleasure. Taking, you're taking some time off? this week? I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I, I'm having some minor surgery on Friday. It's no big deal, but still I kind of try to get some things done before I do that. Cause I'll be out of commission for a couple of days. Oh, well, well, uh, good luck with that. And thank uh, take you. Good thank care you. of yourself. And thank you. I look forward to seeing you, uh, seeing us back in our mastermind in the new year. Absolutely. Our secret mastermind, right? I just snuck <laughs> yeah. in before it all got closed off. I would love to know dates for 2023 so I can block them out and go. So I keep yeah. bugging Sharon. Yeah. Give me dates early so I can block it off. Yeah, he's been a little uh, in the past year, been a little more on the um, spontaneous side because he'll say, oh, I'm going to ha have an engagement here or right. speaking here would be great. I think it might work out for everybody or do for one, that kind of thing. I think that's what usually kind of the, right. the drag right. a little bit because he's trying to fit, you know, stuff in. the. Oh, park. of course, he's got yeah, a lot of moving so, parts. I get yeah. it. So I'm going to be there this year at some point. I promise. Well, I'd love to meet you. And um, is there if there's anything that I can help you with or uh, just because I've been in the team for a little longer, if there's anything I can help you find, anything that you're trying to please, please reach out. Let me know. Thank you. I appreciate it, Leo. Okay. And from here, um, I'm, I'm batching stuff out and then we'll get it up on the audio podcast um, syndicated uh, in 2023. Fantastic. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Have a great okay. day. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Sally. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you subscribe to receive notifications of all new episodes and please give us a positive review. And if you want to hang out with us live, check out our YouTube channel where you can continue the conversations with me and our guests.